Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk, um, a regular edition, because I'm just, just before we came to here, we were talking about the so, with so much different sort of content and stuff flying about. We actually can't keep track of it. Luckily, there's an office <laughs> crammed full of people doing exactly that, isn't it, Jim? <laughs> yeah. But as a result of that, we haven't got, you know, we haven't got Tony to give us some some kind of sort of weird language. So we've just gone traditional, haven't we? We've just gone straight, just gone straight back achtung, to achtung. know where you stand, achtung, achtung. Absolutely. Um, I feel comfortable uh, about that, actually. I'm quite, I'm quite happy with Achtung Achtung. Um, yeah. uh, that, that, it's James Holland, of course. I didn't introduce you there. Hello, James. How are you? Uh, yeah. Do you know what? Actually, actually, if I'm brutally honest, I'm a little bit flustered this morning. I've spent, I've spent too long. Um, so, so what happens is, is when, when you, well, you'll know this, Al, but, but you, you, you write your book, you finish it, and you write the end, and and, and that is absolutely not the end. So what then happens is it then goes off to a copy editor and the copy editor goes through and, and makes all, you know, irons out little typos and all that kind of stuff. But also has points out any inconsistencies. You know, he was called Robert on page 21. Now he's called Richard. Which one is it? All that kind of stuff. You know, you've forgotten to give me a source for this quote. What, what is it? Um, et cetera, et cetera. But in this one, because there's so many um, personal 
you know, people have lent me letters of their fathers and, and all this sort of stuff. You know, all, all the relevant families and people like Stan Perry, who who was who's still alive, you know, they've got to see it because you can't just, just put out. And actually, we got sent a really, really interesting letter, didn't we, yesterday? Yes. Between uh, Lord Lovett, Shimmy, um, and John Howard of Pegasus Bridge fame, where basically this is about the Stephen Ambrose book. And what happens that when it, whenever it was written in 1983, I think it was. Yeah, or yeah, 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 80s, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, for, the, for the 40th anniversary. And basically what's happened is Simon Lord Lovett has torn off John Howard a strip or given him a bit of a dressing down for inaccuracies. And John Howard's going, well, I'm really sorry about that. But yeah, it was absolutely riddled with it. And basically Stephen Ambrose did this in a bit of a rush to get to the get to the anniversary and didn't check his sources properly and there's all sorts of horrible inconsistencies and i think you know veterans have been conflating their own stories with what they saw in the film you know 20 years on so yes i would agree that i was pretty sure you weren't wearing a white sweater um shimmy and all this kind of stuff i mean really really fascinating and he was questioning a lot of people's memories even in you know 40 years on let alone kind of you know 70 or 80 years on so it was very, very interesting that. And he was saying, I'm pretty convinced that m I'm right about what I said because I wrote it down immediately afterwards and I've been lecturing on it for 30 years ever since. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 this is this is the thing, isn't it? Is that 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 uh, we've who, who have we talked to about this before about um, it was I, I don't know, it was um, it was Jonathan Ware Jonathan going on Ware. about how. Going on about how you know um, the, 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 some set accounts have started had started to distort people's recollections, yes. and the yes. recollections come into line. And, and movies are particularly powerful in this respect. Come into come into line with this. Mm. I mean, he, I, he does. I mean, he does actually say, "I knew many of my chaps had confused memories after forty years, and were inevitably influenced by Zanuck's Longest Day film." I mean, I mean that that's, is that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That is truly amazing, and but also, is that is that so is that so surprising really? Because no. how many of us have our have experiences in our lives filmed, valorized, and then beamed beamed on the big screen? You know, the, how could that not have an effect on your memory of events? Yeah. Because 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 you 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 might you might see it on the film and think maybe I don't remember it. I mean, it's after all, Pegasus Bridge. We are talking about an event in the middle of the night. In the dark, in extreme that, that's designed to cause confusion, that is confusing, you know, and, and and so on. Of course, of course, people's memories differ, and then to have it have it standardised in a movie, because after all, they show the at, at, at the at the museum um, uh, in Benneville, they show the clip from the longest day of the glider landing. Yes, they do, don't they? And then yeah. they do, and then they point out that in actual fact they came in from the other direction. Because the wind was doing something, you know, the, the, the oh. flight plan in the movie yeah. is one thing, and it's actually it's completely opposite in real. It was completely opposite in real life, but they show it anyway. And you, you know, it's this. It's this. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I mean. Here's another good another example. All I know about my imagination about what the Dambusters raid was like is entirely furnished, <laughs> furnished um, by the movie. What what that what those what, what not those... not my my incisive narrative history of it. 
Yes, but 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 you know perfectly well what I mean. I know. It's that those well images. What you mean. The, the, those images are so powerful. Yeah, and it was only and it was only in black and white as well. It wasn't in color. Not, yeah, so it's like more like the second. It's more like the Second World War because it's in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, at least they had the, they had the, they they shot it appropriately in black and white. And dare true. I say it? Also, sort of slightly, um, slightly influenced by the Heineken advert as well. Well, I know. I mean, exactly. <laughs> or you see, or and the, it was. But, but 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 for John Howard um, and and Lovett to be getting to grips with this, I think is is that is really really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, really interesting. But to go back to back to yeah, sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, I know yeah. I went off on the on the red herring in classic We Have Ways style. To be fair, um, but to go back to back to We Have Ways, so so the manuscript has to go to. Bill Walton's son. It has to go to Stan Perry. It has to go to people who are absolutely like the brilliant Carl McDermott, who has just been unbelievably holding my hand literally all the way, and he knows about as much as to know about the, the Sherwood Rangers in the Second World War as any man living, and various others. And then they come back with their with their notes and comments and all the rest of it. And you have to kind of feed that into the manuscript. So you you go do a whole tranche of that. Once you've added in all those notes, then you go back to the brilliant Gillian Summerscales, who's been copy editing it, and, and go through her notes. And most of it, it's absolutely fine, except that she's reduced British Army with a capital A to a small A and things like that. So that all has to be kind of put back. You see, the thing is, the thing is, I think you're being very sweet there because you say she's brilliant. But when you're in the middle of this process, the last thing you think your copy editor is brilliant. Don't you? You think? Well, just, I do, just, but you know, you just, do have just these. Just leave the book. Of, leave the damn book alone. <laughs> well, you That's do how I these, wrote it. You have these moments of extreme flash irritation, where she goes, you know. So, are they part of? You know, the the Durham Brigade. I thought the Durham Brigade was was just a regiment, and it was different battalions. It's like yes, but I'm trying not to say 151st because that's another number that the readers then got to kind of absorb. You know, whereas you just say Durham Brigade, it's more kind of colloquial and kind of informal and the easy, easy to follow. The yeah. Durham, but but yeah, I take your point. So, uh, and suddenly you, you tie yourself into a knot. So things like that are quite irritating. But the real stopping point that's held me this morning, and I've spent two hours on, is the battle at Giel. And, and, and this is a, this is the precursor to Market Garden, where they're getting across the Albert Canal, and they've got to take Gill, and they have this massive ding dong, and they have, and it is a brutal, brutal couple of days for the Sherwood Rangers. But but the the, the problem comes not with C Squadron's account or with A Squadron's account; it's with B Squadron's account, which is commanded by Mickey Gold at this point, who's a real larger than life character, an absolutely fantastic character. But one of the guys I'm following is a chap called John Cropper, who is a corporal, so he is the third tank commander in the troop. Um, although they seem to, have, though his four troops seems to have four tanks in because they've added the fireflies by this stage, adding another layer of complication. Anyway, in it he's talking about the night of the tenth, eleventh of September, and he talks about Sergeant Carr's tank disappearing in the night, and this mist comes down over the battle. And there's lots of confusion. The Germans keep sending up these flares, and tanks are getting hit and stuff. There's a couple of people um, getting knocked out in two troop. Um, but he never mentions who his troop commander is. So the first big thing was, who was his two troop commander? And it was one of two people. It was either Cameron or Cowan. But Cameron had been wounded earlier on, so it couldn't have been Cameron, so it must have been Cowan. And Cowan and Cameron both come over with Cropper and everyone else when 24 Lancers are disbanded at the end of August. End yes, of, very that's end right, of July, yeah. beginning of August 1944 in Normandy. So I eventually managed to get hold of... of 
confirm absolutely beyond any doubt that it is Cowan. But Cowan is hit, his tank is hit at either 11.30pm at night by one account or early hours in the morning once the mist comes down, just before the mist is coming down over the battlefield in the early hours of the 11th. But in Cropper's account, the troop commander is the troop leader is, a, is, is there in the morning saying, issuing instructions. But he can't have been because he'd been wounded and two of his men had been killed in his tank. So and it couldn't have been the person the who took over, which was Sergeant Roberts, because Cropper mentions Roberts and says, oh, I was talking to Robbo and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's clearly not him. So who then, who could it have been? So I was thinking, well, it, maybe maybe the O group he's talking about was actually not the troop commander. Maybe it was actually the squadron because the squadron's so reduced. And there is this third testimony by a chap called Trooper Skulls, who, Arthur Skulls, who makes an account of this, this a three-page typewritten account of, of, of what happened. And he talks about other, other people being hit and all the rest of it. And but But he says that Mickey Gold was hit by a sniper glancing blow in the eye in the night. But according to other testimony, Mickey Gold is hit in the morning. But does the morning then mean any time after midnight? Or does it mean later well, in the morning yeah. when they resume action the following morning? After breakfast. Does it mean after breakfast or after midnight? When's the morning? That's right. The question. But if he's going to be sniped, he's obviously going to be at dawn, isn't it? Yeah, he needs to, that requires daylight. That requires it? daylight. So trying to kind of work a path through what time what time is dawn on the 10th 11th of september in Guyana? well it's probably about sort of you know six ish half half five six ish so i that's think that's one of the really that's one of the really interesting things about that period of the of, of the of their campaign is that because the nights get longer they get more rest yes but, but also um, they've got double they've got double british summertime so it's it's it's, it's yeah, yeah. later it's later the evening's gone longer, but the dawn is later. So, so anyway, so so the conclusion I've come to is that gold is hit early in the morning as it gets light, a glancing blow, which means that Colin Thompson then takes over, and it's Colin Thompson who, because gold isn't there, it's more likely that he's going to gather together all the tr- you know all the tank commanders that are surviving, because they're no longer a, a sort of coherent unit in their troops anymore because they've had so many casualties. So that that to me rings true. So I think it's Colin Thompson who's instructing proper on the morning of, and Colin Thompson subsequently then gets wounded. So another one goes, and then Bill Walton takes over. But it's it's just honestly piecing this together is is really really hard. But Jim, did you think you had this worked out before your copy editor went? Hang on a minute, I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. Oh no! Oh god! How awful! Yeah, but 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 oh, then no. it was rereading something that I I I'd. It was rereading Skull's account that made me think, oh, hang on a minute. It's actually not the copy editors putting a big question mark here. It's actually me putting a big question mark here. And, you know, by the time you're going through the copy editor's notes, obviously it's kind of Last Chance Saloon, really. It's not quite Last Chance Saloon, but it's pretty much. So you're you know. going to, are you going to, I mean, one way to do with, deal with that surely is to say accounts of the day are confusing, you know. Well, there is that, but you, but you, 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 you I, I think you want to try and avoid that because the narr- the narratives work best if you're in the moment. It's why I haven't kind of cited people for getting MCs and stuff. Because they don't get MCs for a couple of months afterwards. So you can't say you got a, an MC for this action because he doesn't know that yet. And, and the whole point of the narrative is you're kind of in the now. So I've kind of done that. I've sorted that out by kind of adding that uh, an appendix at the at the end with who yeah. got gongs and yeah. a kind of one line kind of citation. But I've just I've just cut and paste that bit and sent it off to my friend Carl, and hoping that he'll have a little look at it and go. 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Or, but if I he mean, goes, no, you've got that completely wrong. It's just a nightmare. The thing is, when you finish a book, it stops being a book, doesn't it? Basically, and becomes <laughs> yeah. and becomes uh, a record a thing to be a, a record. Well, a thing to be beaten about the beaten about the head with. Basically, I mean, the the thing that my agony when I, when I write a book is is the difference between it and writing a set of jokes. Is if that book I wrote last year were a set of jokes, I'd still be fine tuning it. I'd still be I'd be leaving out the bits I didn't think worked anymore. I'd be adding in things to juice up the th- you know and you, and, the, and it it's like the fourth. The thing about supposedly about the fourth rail bridge, isn't it? That you never, you never, it's never finished. Right. And so you, when I write a sh- like an hour and a half, two hour show, it's never finished. It's always being tuned because there's no need to. There's no moment where you sign off at it. Whereas a book, you sign off on the book. Yeah, and presumably with a show, and, and you it, can you can tweak it every night, can't you? Yeah, exactly. You know, what what, what, exactly, you, what, what you're ex- saying in Salisbury is different to what you're saying in Lincoln, right? Exactly. That's exactly the point. And also, and you, you know, you can you can drop a module if you don't think it's working. Or, I mean, the thing that often happens is you just if there's a bit that's not working, you tend to forget it because because your mind your mind is literally prior prioritizing. There's a sort of Darwinian thing where the the ideas that work push their way to the front. Yeah. The ones that don't fall away. It's the sort of rigor of performing it. But whereas doing a book, I mean, I always get I when I'm in this phase of a book a, like, like, with the copy editor I'm just it's just agony it's sheer agony it is because someone agony. someone has gone through word for word and got you know there's one bit where I'm you know I, I've, you get in the situation in my line of work where you're you're literally having to go yeah but that's a joke and the jokes the word here that's doing the you know and explaining the jokes and you know that is if you want to kill if you want to kill a joke if you want to sh- destroy it with hot fire, then the way, the best way to do that is try and explain it to a copy editor. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but, but it, funny enough, it's it's pretty much the same with a book. So there's lots of times where Gillian said said, you know, she, she you know she's a she's a not a, a a military buff. She doesn't know this stuff. So you know she she's just putting a question mark where there's something that is not 100 percent clear to her. So she's just flagging it up. And sometimes I, I just don't think it matters if you don't know you know what an initial stands for or what it does because because. The benefits of explaining it do not outweigh the disadvantages of interrupting the narrative flow. Yeah, sometimes absolutely. it's yeah, enough, yeah. I think, to kind of get the gist. You don't, you don't, you might know precisely what that German weapon is, but but you you said you know it's dangerous. It's German. It's coming yeah. at you. That's, yeah. that's all you need. Yeah. It's sort of, it's almost kind of all you need to know. So th- there is always a sort of balance, and I and I think you know with with narrative nonfiction, you know what you want to do is present an entertaining story don't you you want to, you want to keep people gripped you want to keep the, the 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 pages turning and so you can't bombard people with too much information it's it's got to be that kind of fine line between having enough to to show that you've got the authority that people trust what you're saying that you, they feel in good hands that this guy knows what he's talking about but you don't want so much that they go, oh god, this is so boring. Because the moment you get too many brigades and battalions, it just goes straight well, ahead, and, and you forget. Well, it. I was just just what I just was going to say because it's the military that that, that you know that there's always the inevitable slide into acronym as well. Um, because the uh, uh, certainly, especially post-war military, boy, do they love an acronym, and you know these sort yeah, of mad yeah. compound no- nouns to explain things, um, uh, and and. You can, you can, and, and I mean, I, 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 it's a style decision as well, isn't it? Operational names are very often done in capital letters, and I always, I think that can very often like break up, break up the page and look, look really ugly. If if there's got lots of, you know, if you're, do you? If I always, you I always seeing, go for that. I always go for that. Actually, you see, I'm just, I just can't, I can't be sure because sometimes, sometimes what you're trying to do is not, is, is say to the, say to a reader, isn't it? You say you can understand this. I know it's, 
I know it's the army and I know it's, but you can understand this. And very often, like a thing like caps or using, you know, 12 third lances, you know, if you use yeah, too much yeah. jargon, it can push people away, can't it? Yeah, it's, the, yeah. it's, the, it's the problem. It's tricky. And it's things like, you know, but, but I also think you want things to kind of to help. So I always do, you know, when you're, when you're doing sort of multiple different nationalities fighting, combating, and you're, you're looking at it in sort of in the round, I always tend to do, I always tend to write the, the unit names in the vernacular. And, and that's not to be pretentious. That's so the moment you see it, you know that's a German unit. You don't have to. You don't have to kind of think. Hang on a minute. Am I now with the British? Am yes, because if you German? call it a parachute parachute battalion rather than Falschimjäger, you're thinking. Hang on a minute. Who's who's? Uh, yeah, who's but, this? Yeah, yeah, and, and and spelling battalion battalion and uh, as they do in in German and things like that. So we've we've just what, one of the queries from Gillian has been: Are you going to call this Army Group C or is it going to be Heroes Group Mitter? It's like oh, you know, it's, it's Heroes Group of Mitter a bit too much. But funny, I think, think if you're going to be consistent, then then stick with it. So we've gone for Heroes Group Mitter. Well, yes, because uh, uh, funny enough, uh, Panzerfeuster, your plural of Panzerfausts. I was wondering about that reading the reading. Yeah, the, you see, see, copy. I just wonder whether the Panzerfaust is so obviously German that you don't need to kind of have it in italics and German with a capital P. I mean, you know, Gillian's a great one for kind of reducing capitals at the drop of a hat, which I'm kind of broadly against. You know, for me, it is, you know, if you're the Sergeant Major, you're the Sergeant Major, capital S, capital M. Yeah. You know, yeah. but but she yeah. takes no trouble. I mean, it's but, it's but, funny because but she does have Panzerfaust. It's all been italicised with a capital P. Well, and and it's Panzer pa- Panzerfeuster. Panzerfeuster, yeah. You put the umlaut on the e yeah, on. You've done yeah, a proper yeah. plural, plural. And I was I was I was quite cu- I was curious about that. I mean, interestingly, you know, but that was Julian, not me. Yeah, no, fair enough. But this ongoing audio book, the, 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 this massive tome of with the jocks that I'm doing, and I am I'm more than halfway through now. He's very interesting because he will sometimes use div, right, in his yep. for division, and other times put division. And it's like he, it's like he's writing it so in his vernacular. He's saying as he would say it at the time each time, and it and it and it the, the incon- I mean, what's interesting about it, I find I find the inconsistency. I'm um, really truthful, and so it doesn't. It, in so you quite like it, it and reading it in reading it aloud, it just does not bother me. Sometimes he's just a regimental sergeant major. Other times he's an RSM. You know, it 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 it, it sort of it's just as as the mood takes him as he's right. telling the story, right. and it and it doesn't matter. But this is a first person narrative. There is some amazing stuff in this um, in this book. Um, his description of watching the Rhine crossing go down because. Um, uh, 52nd Lowland were, were, were in the they were in they were basically in reserve for um uh, for that is j- j- the scale of it the sheer scale mm. of it and he ma- I mean he makes I mean no the, the, uh, the, one of the criticisms of the of the Rhine crossing of course is this sort of belt and braces and it's overkill and it's unnecessary right yeah and it and and I know I know um <laughs> the, but the last time they tried to guess, get 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 across the Rhine it's it's Rhine it's improvised it's not enough and so everyone's mad and that you know we're talking about market garden it's it's a half it's a half-hearted effort by comparison right yeah and fails so no no wonder and then the no wonder they overdo it and also you are at a stage of the war where the germans are fighting and there's there's no real reason for it and he talks about this quite a lot you know you've lost what it what what are you doing? Mm-hmm. He talks about that an awful lot. Yeah. That there's no rhyme or reason to it. Anyone reasonable can see that they've lost. And there's, I'm just in the middle of this encounter at the, the Dortmund Ems Canal, where there's basically yes. a cadet a cadet school 
who are going to fight to the last round. And the British are, British are you know, trying to swan. And he, he talks about swanning a lot. But basically, they've now they've got to winkle this cadet school out of out of a ridge opposite the Dortmund Ends Canal. And it's all for it's all for nothing. It, 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 I mean, it, the only motivation these these not these these cadets and their tutors must have is just to try and take as many allied soldiers with them as they can and that's it that's all there is to it yeah and it's, it, it's, and april it's, so, it's so grotesquely pointless isn't it yeah yeah it's april the 5th or something you know what's the what's the point go home and uh, yeah exactly and it's and it's really interesting though because he talks about they get to a lot they get to a lot of farms and there's these suspiciously young healthy farm hands on all the farms who are obviously blokes have deserted yeah and 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 you and know and every now and again them. Well, exactly, and every now and again they'll find a they'll find a German soldier in the hayloft hiding, and all that when they when they go somewhere and billet it and take it over. I mean, I, anyway, when it comes to the style of the book, I don't mind that he's inconsistent. It doesn't it doesn't no. it doesn't bother me because it's a first person account. But you're trying to make you're trying to corral all those in together and make order out of the chaos, aren't you? That's the that's yeah, and, I, and, so, and sometimes you just <laughs> have, you you just have to take the line which seems most likely. And the most likely line is the most likely line. I mean, you know, that's, yeah, 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 that, yeah, that yeah, is yeah. the bottom line. And, and you know, when, you, when you're doing that, you're drawing on all sorts of things. I mean, I remember doing this when I was doing a, um, writing about North Africa and the Tunisian campaign. And there was, you know, there was a guy who absolutely swore blind that, you know, the hell he was talking about happened on this particular day. And, you know, and he'd written it in his diary and everything. But it was completely different in the war diary. You know, and obviously, and actually, I think I think in this case, Albert was right because he had written it in his diary on that day, and there was the diary. I mean, he showed me. Um, whereas war diaries are often written by people who weren't actually there. Yeah, you know, yeah written yeah, by the yeah, adjutant yeah. or the intelligence officer or whatever. Well, yeah, you know, and long after little... the and long after the event, trying to make sense of it too. Sometimes, you know, you know I mean, you know, usually it's a sort of day or two, but it or sometimes it's that day, but it might not always be. You know, so you know, inevitably the, you know, and again, you just have to, you just have to kind of. You know, when there's that kind of contradiction, you've got to, you've just got to take a a, a, a clean view, view through, you know, and, and just well, it take may, what, what I mean, most And after all, the adjutant may not be the adjutant yesterday because the adjutant yesterday was killed. You know, the war diary isn't being written consistently by the same person either. No. And who might not know the guys in B Company very well, so might no. not really know what what they've been up to and all that sort yeah, of yeah and you've had a long day and you've just got to get it done and it's one of the chores and you you know and you know it's not really accurate but who cares yeah yeah ah, anyway we, we, we were going to talk yeah. about crete again weren't we we were well well i'll tell you what we'll do we'll talk about crete in a minute um uh well, well uh, let's do would you just to do a little, a little bit, bit of housekeeping bit of housekeeping yeah yeah now as some of you may know we are holding a we have ways second war world war festival this september from friday the 17th of uh, september to sunday the 19th um, if you're a Patreon listener, if you've been um, one of our sort of regular contri- contributors on the Patreon page, that's nearly two and a half thousand of you. So we're we're reaching lay force. So in fact, we've, we've got more people than lay force, um, uh, which, is, which I quite like. Um, way force. We have yeah, ways like force. Um, uh, <laughs> ways force. Anyway, the, um, ways force. That's quite, uh, that's that's quite good, actually. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. Um, uh, um, um, if you're a Patreon, then you you know we've been talking about this for a while and the saga of us picking a weekend and then trying to like basically pin down a venue and fall upon a venue and organise stuff. And there's been a fair bit of fog. We have to knit quite a lot of fog to make this happen. But it's Friday the 17th of September to Sunday the 19th, um, right next door to Silverstone. Um, we've got 50 military vehicles coming, including tanks, 
gun carriers, field ambulances, a battery of 25 pounders is coming. And that's, I think actually that's the thing I'm salivating about oh, most. The, the, the garrison. And actually we're, we're heading down to Larkhill in a couple of weeks, aren't we? Yeah. To go and have a look, to go and perv on the 25 pounders. Yeah. Um, plus we've a host of speakers, um, uh, people who um, have been guests on Thursdays on the podcast and sometimes on our live cast, which we have on Thursday nights. Uh, we didn't do one uh, uh, last Thursday um, due to um, all sorts of diary reasons. And actually, you know what? We've done one every week since March last year and, or April, whenever it was last year. I think we can we can take a one week breather. Anyway, um, there's uh, there's going to be beer as well, obviously. <laughs> um, and named beer, amusingly named beer. And amusingly named beer, we'll have, we'll decide what to amusingly name it. Um, uh, There's going to be and, Nicholas uh, Frank. Yes, Nicholas Frank is coming. Isn't that Nicholas amazing? Frank isn't he? Son of Hans Frank. Hans, Hans Frank's son. Um, uh, and those of you who've, who've listened to our Philippe Sands stuff, or or people who are, are across Philippe's stuff, um, the Rat Line will will know exactly who he is and where he fits into the. Um, uh, he's an amazing guy. He's absolutely. an amazing man, and the sort <laughs> of his. His role in sort of German attempts to digest what happened is really, really, uh, really, really interesting and fascinating. One of the one of the shocking at times, if a little (laughs) shocking and sort of unvarnished and uh, uh, direct in his approach. (laughs) Basically, I mean, he he's a fascinating man. And and also one of the very first one of the first sort of Nazi brass um, offspring to be really upfront about about what his parents generation did. And what his parents did. So, I mean, anyway, so it, uh, it's quite a coup getting him, isn't it? It's pretty good. Yeah, though. no, no, it's, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna be so much fun. The whole thing. Yeah, that's, it really it'd be brilliant. Uh, so, yeah, so there's beer. Um, um, uh, and you're doing uh, the pub landlord, aren't you? There will be a pub landlord set on the Saturday night. Um, uh, and I've been getting back into the swing of gigging lately, which has been lots of fun. Um, I managed to include the word Falschim Jaeger in the current show. Um, that's that, that, that's really that's incredibly strong. I'm, There's I'm, a thing I'm about Falschim Jaeger on Monte Cassino in the new show. That's just so good. It's it's really heavily Jemmy crowbarred in. Um, uh, so on the Friday night, there'll be a drinks party with the Second World War film quiz from the lads from the Fighting on Film podcast, um, an historic firearm. Um, if you listen to this regularly, you know of our affection for the Piat. Um, uh, we have the author <laughs> of the Piat book will be present. So expect the bring up the Piat clip at some point. Now, we've limited the event to 1,000 tickets, which means we're prioritising sales to our members so far, to our um, uh, Patreon members. But um, it's very nearly June, and when there are the amount of tickets left in June will be put over to public sale, on general sale, um, off the Patreon site, as it were. To, so just to, to people who listen to the show um, uh, regularly. But if you want to make sure you get a ticket... Um, go to the Patreon site, become a member. It's what, six quid a month? And there's a host of content and stuff. And there's a link to the tickets on that Patreon site. And um, and and we've got an absolute humdinger live stream next Thursday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but careless, we have ways cost talk or something. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we... Uh, we uh, we were gonna we're gonna take a very brief break now, and then we'll be be back to talk some more. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. Now, last week we talked about Crete, but but 
We basically talked about the front end of the Crete. Yeah, we got to the... We, we, Operation we, Mercure. I think I gave the, the throwaway line. And then on the 27th of, of May, the evacuation <laughs> was ordered. Full stop. <laughs> Which says nothing about the kind of huge... You know, the fact that people were still being picked up by by, by submarine in July. That, that whole resistance movement continued on Crete. That General Kruiper was... Kidnapped by Stanley Paddy Moss Lee and, co. And, yep. and Co. Um, the Cretan Runner, an amazing book. Anyone who wants to ever read about kind of Cretan guerrillas on Crete after the German occupation, that is the book for you. I can never quite pronounce his name. Hold on, what's he called? He's called George Sycundacus. It's. D- d- I mean, the saga. I mean, the saga. The saga of the fighting retreat of the retreat is 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 really interesting, isn't it? With the with the um, Maori battalions basically d- doing what they can to get a you know form a shield. I mean, yep. it's got shades of. I mean, it's not as successful an evacuation as Dunkirk, is it? We can't we can't say it's quite up there with Dynamo, can we? Because no. they don't get they don't get everyone off, um, uh, or, or, or nothing like the sort of proportion, and you've the peculiar business of lay force. Going in, ditching. I mean, ditching their heavy weapons and their radios. I mean, I mean, Ra- like, radios was the big. Actually, radios well, is, the, is, the, is the problem of the whole. Well, well, well. Thing, there, there we really. go. You see, nine, it's nineteen forty-one, right? One of the lessons you've surely, surely, that's gone in by now is you need to get your comms. Sh- yeah, but but it's only it's only May nineteen forty-one, isn't it? And and. You know, no one's really expecting to do much on Crete. I I, I agree, and and it's and it's clearly an oversight in a very very bad way, or a, or a sort of gap in the in the um, logistic line, operational level failure. Um, but yeah, you know, but just you, how a but how a battalion how battalions operate, brigade size. Because I mean, lay force is this peculiar peculiar thing, isn't it? It's a commando. It's a commando raiding force that's sent to the Middle East. They go to the they, they they go to the Middle East, and at this point in in North Africa, where Duke forces are doing pretty well, aren't they? Yeah. Um, is they've they've give, they've given the Italians a proper shoeing with compass and all that sort of stuff, and a kind of a kind of on top of things. Um, and uh, Laycock is sent out with about two thousand people, isn't he, to the Middle East, and he's meant to do raid commando raiding. It's commando raid, sort yeah. Of, um, yeah, but but. But then, of course, because the British are doing quite well, what actually do you do with the with the commando raiding force? Because it's all very well sending raids to the French occupied French coast, isn't it? But your the, the, the relationship, the, the situation is quite different in the Mediterranean, isn't it? So they then get they, they then get used as a sort of fire brigade, basically, don't they? Yes. And and at Crete in particular, so they send they send I think it's two battalions, and you know it's one of these things where. And we've we've gotten entangled with this before, where the commando units all get renamed a lot and reordered, yes. and fifty and the, fifty so Middle East commando and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and the previous, but previous, previous, you know, they're sort of a bit like Prince Battalion, formerly known as, aren't they? They're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it um, is a bit you know, like that. Well, that's because they're like, also new, and no one really quite knows what you know what what they're supposed yeah. to be doing. And also, that yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, Lay Force, uh, uh, Bob Laycock's commandos. I mean, they're all just sort of good sorts, aren't they? I mean, I, I never forget get talking to George Jellicoe, who later ran the SPS, SAS and then SPS. You know, and he, his interview with Bob Laycock at White's in, in St. James's, you know, he, he'd really prepped for it. And, uh, and he meets Laycock at the bar. And Laycock says to him, 
uh, hey, you know, good to see you, George. You know, um, so you fancy a crack at the Hyundai? And he says, yes, I do so. Yeah, absolutely. And he goes, well, you seem the right sort of sort. You're in. Yeah, there it is. And, and you know, he's, I mean, he's, he is absolutely the right sort, as it turns out. He's, he's, you know, George Jadico is completely, completely born and tailor made to be in the special forces. But, but you, could, but, but Laycock couldn't possibly have known that at that particular moment. No, but then, but then, you know, the, the fact that Evelyn War is the is, is the right. brigade major, mm. and 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 War War's <laughs> military career is, you know, the one command he's given. He's such a prick that, that, that they decide actually you're better off being an intelligence officer he's just really shit with his men yeah and, and so they, well, because so, he's snooty so, and overpowering is because he's he? snoo- snooty and overpowering and condescending and and clever clever he's still uh, a brilliant writer than, oh absolutely but i don't know if that's i don't know necessarily how that translates as a martial quality at the moment where you it, need, it doesn't translate at all although <laughs> sort of sort of honor is you know the three the three books in that are just stupendously good oh yeah yeah they're, they're they're amazing books and 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 you know and he does that he does that thing of thinly disguising everybody yeah um uh, <laughs> i mean if, if you've not read the richie hook yeah ex- and so on but i just think i just uh, the the i mean they are pecu- they are a peculiar these commandos are a yeah. peculiar uh kettle of fish anyway so they're being used as a fire brigade and they and, and I mean, it is the dump. I think the dumping the radios to me just feels like, if you want to know, if you want to know the, the lessons that have still not been learned, that's it, isn't it? You can, yes. you know, the, but, these but, guys, but the are whole, all, they've but, all been trained up to the eyeballs, and they're all commando they're skilled, gung-ho, and they're all up for it. So they're gung ho, and they're going to be. So they're going to. The, the musketry is going to be excellent, and they're going to be good. They're going to be, you know, they're going to be good at the fighting bit. But now you need to actually talk to each other. You can't just. But 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 the whole setup is is dodgy. And I, actually, after we had that conversation last week, I was I was I was I've been thinking a bit more about all this. And, and you know, the the Australians at Rathimnon, the, the the British at Heraklion, the New Zealanders at Malema and Kanea, none of them are really talking to each other because they're all isolated. There's nothing linking them at all, apart from a few trucks and telephone lines. You know, once the telephone line's gone. That is it. You know, Crete's a big old place. You know, the distances are not, it's, it's not kind of a couple of miles down the road. I mean, no, it's, it's, it's no. a decent stretch. And the road, well, and the roads aren't that good either. So, so it's not like, it's not, it's not like you jump on the dual carriageway, is it? And, uh, uh, and zip, zip from one end to the other. And also there's Falsham Jaeger everywhere. So dispatch riders are buggered, aren't they? Completely. And I was thinking again about this sort of whole giving up of Malemi Airfield. I mean, we will move on to the other stuff, but I just wanted to kind of make this last point about, about this. And, you know, I'm afraid I, I really do blame Freiburg on this. I, I, I really, really do. Because if everyone had been under the, under the clear instruction that under no circumstances was Malemi to be abandoned, there is no way he would have pulled out that night. Yeah. If that, yeah, exactly. orders, if, if, if that had been impressed upon everybody, that this was the single most important feature of Crete that should not, under any circumstances, be given up, Hargis would have reinforced it, Leslie wouldn't have abandoned it, and so that comes from the top. And that message has not been stressed clear enough. Everyone should have been absolutely clear. Of well, what that's their an interesting were. thing, though, isn't it? But that's interesting, isn't it? Because in the end, I suppose it's, it, it shows that your radios can work or not but if you've got, not got a clear idea of what you're meant to be doing that's that that what well, it's, it's double bad isn't it because the thing is 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 your short your shortfall in radios can be made up to a certain extent if your if your instructions are super clear 
you know, you, you have detailed orders, you have not non-detailed orders, and you have, have bottom-line instructions. The bottom-line instruction is do not give up Maleme Airfield under any circumstances. Th th that has got to be clear. When they when the British know how Fauschenjäger operate, they know that for, for, for the Fauschenjäger and for any airborne troops or even mountain troops like, like 5th Gebirgjäger, the airfield is absolutely their lifeline. It is absolutely the key to the whole thing. So you your job above all anything else is to deny them that so why is that not why is that not made clearer why is that not rubber stamped why is that not underlined in thick pen with extra double linings and exclamation marks well i well because because well i mean you see the thing uh, is, why why in turn is that not impressed upon upon freiburg by by wavell yeah i mean well th there you go i mean it, it it's just it's just I the think... whole chain is rotten, and so so that's why Wavell has to go. And later on, it's up to the decision. You know, a month later, he's out, um, and, and the orc is in. You know, it, the only person who survives out of all this really is is is, is Freiburg himself. He's still yes, I know, the core of casino and still but, making really bad decisions. Well, which is remarkable, isn't it? But 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 that's because that's because he's, he's Churchill's mate and he's political. Well, it's a political appointment as much as anything else, and also maybe you know maybe. Maybe you can't sack him and keep, you know, you can sack Wavell. That's easily done, you know, because you've got you've got a big supply yeah. of other other British generals prepared to elbow their way. You know, all determined to get those big jobs, aren't they? Yeah. And at, whereas who do you replace Freiburg with? Because you can't put a you can't, you can't put a British British general in. No. So what you do is you, you understand you his job. shortcomings. You understand his shortcomings and you make sure that his B team and his staff under him, and his, particularly his division and then subsequently core staff, is absolutely of the highest order. So it's small things like that. It's, it's, it's just, it just requires a bit of thought. And, and but kind isn't of, that, that's essentially what happens though, because he just, he just get better at it, doesn't he? He does well in the well, desert. He does, but he, yeah, he does, he does, he, well, yeah, particularly in the sort of, you know, the loop around the Tobago Gap and all that. And the yeah, yeah, Hills yeah, 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 yeah. In the southern, into yeah. southern Tunisia. But that in, doesn't in, involve, that doesn't involve, that involves him having the initiative. I mean, the, 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 I mean, here's another, here's another thing, isn't it? Is that the British army doesn't do very well when it hasn't got the initiative is the, in the first couple of years of the war, does it? Yeah. There's no initiative on offer here, is there? That you're being, you're being, you're, you're being, Outdecided the entire time by the opposition, yeah. aren't you? And but, but, but a casino, casino. He's he's definitely, you know, his decision making isn't good. You know, he's got Tuca there right on his right hand side, so saying this is the way to do it. Trust me. You know, I've got mountain troops. We can go. We can outflank this. And he goes, mm, I don't really fancy that. Yeah, but he also he knows morale's crappy. Um, at that point, I mean, as we've talked about with the um, yeah. Jonathan Fennell thing, you know, the, everyone's mailbag is full of the mutiny back home, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so you know, he's it, it, is is that him or is that something yeah. else? You know, um, or the, I mean, after all, this is the the endless jigsaw that that the of of uh, how you explain this, but but yeah, anyway, but the retreat because <laughs> yeah. Evelyn War, Evelyn War in Sword of Honor, he's very scathing. He thinks that the British sold the British troops are cowardly. Essentially, doesn't he? And he and yeah. he thinks that they that the officers are all useless and feckless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. And and he particularly cares about the idea of honor. You know, he talks he, he, in his books. He his books are very much focused on the idea that you know that you sacrifice your honor for the to, to to avoid bloodshed. And and he basically doesn't think that's right, does he? I mean, it's no. he's a his attitude is. I think also 
It's interesting. It's interesting that this is so clearly novelised by such a brilliant writer. This episode, isn't it? Is that we don't? Is there a brilliant Dunkirk novel, which which basically slags off all the people in charge and the men? I mean, the thing is, is War Ward slags off absolutely everybody in uh, sort of. Is it the men come over badly? The officers come over badly. The aspiring grammar school officers come out badly. Exactly. Absolutely everybody. Because he is a crashing snob, of course, as well. But but the whole retreat is a fascinating, fascinating um, episode. Uh, And, you know, they do obviously they 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 head across the mountains, you know, to 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 there's one main evacuation point. But the evacuation does does continue. You know, HMS Frasher, Commander Poole, who is continuing to kind of pluck people off the south coast, you know, as I said, well into July. But the actual, you know, I mean. ABC, you know, Admiral Cunningham's um, evacuation using the Mediterranean fleet is, you know, that that's kind of the, his worst experience in 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 the war because his navy is effectively sitting ducks to all these Stokers and 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 JU88s who are not just operating from 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 Crete itself but from little islands as well, and you know they're 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 getting pretty badly hammered. Um, well, and, I mean, and, you know, that, that's H. Kelly. You know, it's Matt and the contrast and the contrast with Dunkirk, of course, is that there's no, there's no, the RAF aren't able to um, no. have no answer to that because they're no. not, they're not sending Spitfires from the other side of the channel, for instance. You no, know, exactly uh, that, exactly that. I mean, I remember talking to um, uh, an old dairyman called Bill Laherty, who lived in in, in here in Broadchalk, and um, talking to him, he was in the navy, um, and and he was at Crete. And um, his ship was sunk. He was on a, HMS Kelly. He was on a. He was on another one. Um, Icarus was it? Something like that. Jarvis. I can't remember. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. The, the 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 point is, his destroyer was it was under Mountbatten's destroyer force, uh, and he was sunk. And he was in the water. And there was a guy who was struggling, and he got him. And the Messerschmitts came over and machine gunned them in the water, and and he and he ducked under. Bullets missed him. The guy he was helping got hit, and he said, "I had to, I had to tread water in that in the Mediterranean, trying to keep this guy alive, trying to keep his head above the water." And he bled to death in my arms. Christ. He said, "So I've never been particularly fond of Germans." <sighs> no, he didn't take any truck at all. He was a tough, tough guy. He was. God. He was amazing, actually. He was he was Mediterranean fleet boxing champion as well, and basically his attitude was. If you pissed him off, he'd give you a warning. And then if you didn't adhere to it, it'd knock you out. He was really clear cut about that. So he's always getting into fights with people. But anyway, but I mean, you know, so so it is the you know, the evacuation of, of, of Crete, I think, has quite an enduring trauma on the British, actually, and I think also on the Navy. You know, I think I think, you know, Alexander, when he takes over as commander in chief in the Middle East in August 1942, he gets there and he and he goes right. That's it. We are having no more retreats, and that becomes the almost official British Army line in the Second World War, certainly in in the European theatre. And I think, I th- and I th- and I think for for Cunningham, it's the same. You know, we, we are never going to experience this again. We're not, go- you know, a line has been drawn after Crete. You you can see it as a as a sort of mentality. There's a there's, there's a shift. And yet, you know, the other the other thing for for Germany is that not only have they now got this island, which they're not really going to use at all because they don't use it as a launch pad, they've also got to keep it from from these incredibly aggressive Cretan guerrillas who make their lives an absolute misery. 
I mean, Greek resistance is is you know a great untold story. It's it's all very little told story, and and of course the the Cretan guerrillas are are just amazing. I mean, they're 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 known for their their toughness, their brutality, their kind of you know aggressiveness towards their German occupiers, and never laying down down their kind of you know get never giving an inch. And of course, you know they know the land, and they can just disappear into the mountains and all the rest of it. And and you know the climate is so much better there, and blah blah blah. And you know, so so make that there's a lot there's lots of things in favour, which again, you know, obviously the Germans just haven't thought about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the I mean the the, the Germans. There's not many places where the Germans turn up and people are pleased to see them. Let, let, let's put it. Let, let, <laughs> let's, let's, let's be honest about let's it. Let's put it that way. You know that theirs is a war of conquest, not of liberation, isn't it? And Crete must have thought, you know, for a long time, Cretans must have thought, well, it's never coming here. That thing's never coming here. Yeah, they're going to fight the French, the Germans, and yeah, they're going to fight the Russians, probably. But they're not coming in our direction. Yeah. It's all a bit improbable, isn't it, I yeah. suppose, if you're, a, if you're a Cretan. Earlier on, I said that the evacuation isn't on a Dunkirk scale. It's what? There's... there's 20, 22,000 British soldiers on... It's, I thought it was a bit more than that. There's 42,000 British soldiers and I think 28,000 are lifted, if I remember right. right. I think sort of 14,000 okay. 14, are casualties either sort of in the bag or right. you know, whatever. But but I think it's something like that. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. I, I can't remember, remember the those, those sort of figures. Yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, heck. I, I, I'm the thing... I'm, I mean, it's interesting what you say about, you know, that from now on we're not going to retreat. You wonder what... You wonder what, um, you know, at battalion level, what they were saying to themselves about how they'd fought and how they'd done and, and what lessons needed to be sort of digested. Because there's always this thing that every now and again, you know, you read the accounts of the battle, they get these moments where people coagulate and they fight and they do really well and they hold the Germans up and do all the things they're meant to do. And then, and then basically it falls apart. Mm. And you wonder what, you wonder what kind of, what the army's microscope you know look, looking at that learned and uh, and how you you know because how do you digest yet another defeat at this stage of the war yet another evacuation how do you because because as an institution if the army had an you know and and i always think after singapore if the army had a if if the, if the army wanted to have a nervous breakdown at this point it'd be entirely entitled to yeah, you know as, exactly. a, That's as an institution from mental health issues and, and, yeah, know, yeah. And, yeah 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 i mean i mean it's interesting it, isn't it because you know i mean there's Aussies at, at, at Tobruk. you know siege of Tobruk is just it's just it's just starting isn't it around the same sort of time the nine month siege of Tobruk. you know rommel's suddenly you know this is may and and he's suddenly kind of fighting back because the western desert force has been reduced because they've had to take people away to fight in Greece then Greece hasn't worked out as they thought and, and, and then you have Crete and you've got you've got Aussies and Brits in in Tobruk showing unbelievable defiance but but in a way it's sort of clear cut there isn't it you got you know you've still got the pipeline of 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 the navy coming into Crete into Tobruk and you you know the orders are really simple hold it you know, whereas one of the big problems the problems with Crete is that no one knows what the hell's going on. The chain of command is just is so disrupted all the time. And in that early part of the war, you know, right from the word go, because you've got those three garrisons in the three different cities, three different towns, you know, Canaia Strait, Malemi, uh, Rathimnon and, and Heraklion, you've got these three areas and no one's no one's gripping any one of those situations. 
there's there's obfuscation and confusion and, and a breakdown in in, in 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 communications and that's why it all unravels you know as i said if there'd been this very very clear message right from the word go this is what our priority is it'd have been fine wouldn't it you know, I, you see, I wouldn't have bothered, bothered, bothered with Rathimnon at all, or or not. You know, Heraklion, you can you can evacuate. You know, uh, um, is quite a big port. You know, you want you want you want concentration of force. You want everything. You know, you don't want to spread out, and you do want radios. I mean, it's quite interesting because John Pendlebury is is the eminent academic and archaeologist who is has been doing an awful lot of work on on Knossos. You know, which is just outside Heraklion. You know, and he's been there, but he's also been recruited by the SO, SOE, and he's the the British consul in in Crete, and he's been packing Heraklion and and Canea with arms, and getting them from Greece and and bringing them in and all the rest of it in preparation. And he's at the kind of sort of the one person who's prepared for Crete, but that's because he's a British consul on Crete, and that's his job. You know, he's he's the man who's always been there, who knows it inside out and all the rest of it, but that doesn't apply to the rest of the British. And he's very frustrated because he's not he's not being listened to. And what happens is he leads the counterattack out of Heraklion when the invasion happens, gets ca- gets wounded, gets captured by the by the Germans, and then is executed. I mean, the, the descent into brutality on the islands is... Uh, on, on the island, on Crete, is, is really... Um... I mean, in a way, maybe there's another podcast just about that, about what happens afterwards, that the whole thing. That, 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 yeah. Because the, the the Germans, I mean, it, it, it's just such a... It, the, their handling of, of Crete is such a zero-sum game. There's no way they... There's no hearts and minds no. option, is there? But no. At all. And then they uh, hand over to the Italians. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't use it. They they don't use it. So so it's just it's just another headache. It's another bit of land that they they are occupying where they've got to deal with resistance. They've got to deal with people who are unhappy about them there. They've got to occupy it. That means providing arms, and it's a month away from Barbarossa. So, is it the greatest battle we ever lost, James Holland? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's just whichever way you look at it with Crete, it's just yeah, one big it's massive. Whether it be the, the Germans crossing at Sedan or whether it be Cree or, or whether it be the Gazala line, there are just or whether it be Singapore, you know, there are just there are just moments where as a Brit, as a British historian, you're looking at this stuff and you just want to put your head in your hands and just go, How could this have happened? <laughs> Anyway. Well, I think even more the answers is because everyone was crap. Everyone was no good. <laughs> but they got, good. He was, they got good. If only everyone had been a good Catholic and posh like him, everything would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Listen to um, I, I think I think that we've covered that, haven't we, uh, in a digression-packed episode. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, we'll see you soon. Livecast Thursday for the Patreons. What a treat we have for you. Cheerio. If it comes off, if it comes off, cheerio. It will. It will. <laughs>